You're tuned to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The following program is a rebroadcast of Miracle Hunter with Michael O'Neill. Welcome to The Miracle Hunter, where it doesn't matter if you're a believer or a skeptic, it's always worth the hunt. My name is Michael O'Neill. I'm The Miracle Hunter and creator of the website, MiracleHunter.com. I'll be your host for the next hour as we continue our weekly exploration of the world of miracles. For those of you who are not familiar with the apparitions of Our Lady of the Reconciler of All Nations in Batania, Venezuela, today, March 25th, marks the 30th anniversary of what I consider to be one of the great modern miracles. Over her lifetime, Church-approved mystic Maria Esperanza de Bianchini witnessed 31 apparitions of the Virgin Mary. But on March 25th, this apparition was witnessed by over 100 people who gave written testimony of the event. The witnesses were from all walks of life, adults, uh, children, doctors, lawyers, even atheists, and they all gave the same testimony of the appearance of the Mother of God. This and the other apparitions received by Maria Esperanza were approved by the local bishop, Bishop Pio Bello Ricardo, on November 21, 1987. Her beatification cause is now underway, and today we have two very special guests. Michael H. Brown, the best-selling author and creator of SpiritDaily.com, will be joining us. He has written much about her life, and he knew her quite well when she was alive. And later in the program, we'll have an interview with Father Timothy Byerly, the vice postulator of the beatification cause of Maria Esperanza. And of course, in just a bit, we'll be asking you a Catholic trivia question, so get your pens and paper ready. Later in the show, we'll be talking about how Our Lady is honored around the world on today, March 25th, in our segment, 365 Days with Mary. More information on this project can be found at 365dayswithmary.com or on Facebook, 365 Days with Mary. Joining us first on today's program is journalist and author of numerous books on Catholic spirituality, Michael H. Brown. He is also the creator of Spirit Daily, which, just based on web traffic stats alone, can be considered one of the top Catholic news sources on the Internet. Welcome to the show today, Michael, and happy Feast of the Annunciation. Well, same to you. Thank you for having me, and congratulations on, on your uh, Miracle Hunter site. It's a, it's, it's a terrific one. Thanks very much, and uh, I've been reading uh, your Spirit Daily site for many years now, and it's uh, really inspired some of my work as well, so I'm happy to finally get the chance to uh, speak with you today. And same here. And uh, now, I, I personally believe that Maria Esperanza is one of the most incredible of the modern mystics. Her life was really graced with some amazing mystical phenomena, including claims of levitation, stigmata, the order of sanctity, the appearance of roses, and the ability to read, read souls. And I know you've written so much about her, and from what I understand, you actually know her personally or knew her personally. Can you tell how you got to know her and what really made Maria so special? Well, in 1992, 
I went down to Batania, to Venezuela, at the apparition site. At the time, Maria was in the hospital with her. her one of her daughters was having a baby, so she was at bedside. And I went to the hospital, and she was gracious enough to come out to the waiting room. And uh, we, we hit it off. I, I spent um, much of the weekend at her house after that. And uh, I might add that it was very interesting, because I was privy to a direct prophecy um, the she they said that something major was going to happen on December eighth of that year, and in fact that it, it turned out that uh, a host uh, in association with Batania in that area bled on that day. But anyway, that's mm-hmm. when I met her, and then I wrote about her in a book called The Final Hour, and uh, and uh, and then we would uh, we would speak together at conferences in uh, mainly in the Boston area, but in other parts of the United States as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. That she sounds like she was a wonderful person to to know personally. Um, she, she, now there were there were many uh, claims associated with uh, Maria. Obviously, the apparitions were approved by uh, the local bishop there. Uh, she had a number of apparitions, but there were many other uh, phenomena that surrounded her. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the things that she was known for? Yes, and, and by the way, speaking of the bishop, I, I I did meet him and speak to him at length about her, and it was interesting because not only did he uh, approve of her mysticism and approve uh, formally of the site of Batania as a Marian apparition site, and and he he declared it a sacred ground, but he told me that he wished he had Maria's spirituality. So that was quite a humble thing of him to say. Wow, Maria. Uh, you know, you have to compare her to, to uh, St. Padre Pio, uh, sure. whom she had met, whom she uh, knew in, in, uh, somewhat uh, when she was in her younger years. Um, everything from, as you mentioned, stigmata, levitation, bilocation. I, I've interviewed people who saw her in bilocation. Uh, I've interviewed people uh, who, who saw a rose coming uh, come out of her, actually come out of her body, which happened on on uh, more than a dozen occasions. It sounds um, way out there. It sounds too extraordinary for belief, and yet there's all kinds of testimony to that effect, and, and there's supposed to be a video being evaluated that uh, that includes that. She mm. predicted to me 9-11. I mean, we had it as a headline on Spirit Daily. Um, I remember that, yeah. You know, the, the December before uh, it occurred, she... She then later, when when um, when nine eleven did occur, I asked her who was behind it because it in, in the first days no one really uh, knew, uh, no one even really heard of Al Qaeda. They were guessing it was a McVeigh type or it was Hamas, uh, Hezbollah, and she said a roaring lion is behind this. And later on, we found out that the name Osama means lion. Hmm. Um, so I mean, yeah. it went on and on and on. And she would read your soul. She would tell you things about your life. She. She couldn't know, but her main charism was simply the the joy and the peace that she exuded uh, through um, herself and her entire large family. And I, I, I'm sure you know the story of how she met her husband, Gio. Are you able to share a little bit of that with uh, the audience? Well, you know, it's been a while as far as the, you know, the tremendous details of that, but it was sure. Rome. Uh, she was, as a matter of fact... Um, she was going to uh, be, she was going to be a nun at one point. Right. It turned out uh, her vacation was otherwise. She met him uh, in nineteen. Uh, I think it was in the nineteen fifties, and and it was a feast day of the Virgin Mary. Uh, and and as he puts it, 
when he first uh, caught sight of her, an irresistible uh, power overtook him. <laughs> and he, he pursued her, even though she was living with none. She wasn't, she wasn't in a vocation at this point, mm-hmm. but she was living with him. And the following October 13th, you know, of course, that's the anniversary of the great Fatima miracle, sure. uh, the Blessed Mother um, told Maria she, she would be married on December 8th, ni- 1956, which is, of course, another feast day, the American mm-hmm. Conception. And they were married on that day, not only married on that day, but married uh, in the Chapel of the Immaculate Conception at St. Peter's Basilica. <laughs> ever been married there during yep. Advent before. So, yep. so there's all these kinds of dates and times and, and sure. phenomena in her in her in her life. And uh, one one of the great things about Maria, she was known to be a devoted wife and mother, and uh, she raised a, a wonderful family. Can you can you tell us a little bit about how um, the messages of Our Lady, the Reconciler of all nations, sort of talked about the family or promoted the family or tied in with with her with her life there? Well, you know, her is, is, there's that old expression, um, uh, preach always and sometimes use words. And she preached by just what was happening around her. It was astonishing that uh, she would come in to do a conference, let's say in Boston or, or mm-hmm. Arizona or where, wherever, and sometimes 30, 40, up to 60 members of her family would travel with her. <laughs> she does come from a wealthy family, but they mm-hmm. did not want to be away from her, including, and I find this most interesting, including all of her, her, her son-in-laws. Huh. Uh, she had five daughters. She has uh-huh. five daughters. But um, it, it, this family was is still so cohesive, so full of love, so full of, of joy and song, that uh, I think that that's the greatest uh, testimony. That, that basically is the message, and that says it all. That's right, and uh, I guess she is her. She's up for beatification at some point uh, in the near future. Her cause is open now. Have you have you heard any movement as far as miracles or anything related to that cause? You know, I haven't, and of course, uh, Father Byerly would be the one to yes to to ask about that. But I, mm-hmm. uh, I you know, I don't know. I certainly hope that she is beatified and, and canonized. As she is, she is a strong candidate for that. If if ever I. <laughs> and, and certainly if I've ever met one, uh, an incredible person. And I think that there'll be tremendous intercessions if, uh, you know, if, when and if they uh, declare her a, a saint, because you do hear them from time to time as it is. And, uh, and of course, you did also when she was uh, alive. She, she, had, uh, she had a lot of gifts, and she used them to the fullest, and she used them with love, which I think is the most important point. Absolutely. Now, Michael, I know you're a busy guy, and you've uh, been churning out books. You have a number of books out. Uh, do you have any books that are coming out now or that have just come out that you'd like to tell the audience about? Well, I came out with a book recently called Fear of Fire. It's not to provoke fear. It has to do with the current events and things going on in, in, in the world and how it relates to kind of the prophetic pulse, which you're an expert at also with that. And I mean great site uh, with approved and unapproved apparitions that you run there. And uh, I'm working on a book called uh, What You Take to Heaven. It's a, it's a book uh, about, you know, life on Earth, the struggles on Earth, what we need to achieve on Earth, uh, and, uh, and from the perspective of both Marian apparitions and, uh, and so-called near-death uh, experiences, what people see on the other side and, and what they see as the important things we need to do here uh, while we're still in this trial called Life on Earth. So 
uh, working on that, appreciate any prayers. And, uh, sure. and, and what about any, uh, I know you, you do uh, speaking tours and, and book a lot of speaking engagements. Any, anything coming up for you on that front? Uh, we'll be doing one in the Philadelphia area, um, God willing, in June. Um, and, uh, and then we just did one last weekend in Richmond, Virginia, and we mm-hmm. did t- uh, Texas a couple weeks before that, a f- couple cities there. We'll, we'll be, we only do these once in a while, once a month or so, and uh-huh. then we'll be taking a break and, uh, coming back and, and, uh, not sure exactly where, where we'll be in the fall at this point. All right. Well, great. Well, thank you so much, Michael, for joining us, and I'm glad we had the chance to chat finally after <laughs> some emails, so this is great. And, uh, Keep up the great work on the site, and I'll be sure to follow SpiritDaily.com. Thanks so much, Michael. Michael, same to you. God bless. This is Michael O'Neill, and you are listening to the Miracle Hunter radio show. We've been talking with journalist Michael H. Brown from SpiritDaily.com. And for more information on the program or my research on miracles, please visit MiracleHunter.com. Now we'll turn to this week's Miracle News item. And today in Miracle News, we have another reported miracle coming from the famed, famous alleged apparition site of Medjugorje, where starting in 1981, the Virgin Mary has been claimed to be appearing to six local children who are now adults. A uh, leading Croatian daily newspaper, uh, Slobna, <laughs> Slobodna Dalmatia, uh, reported on the curious case of a 19-year-old Italian pilgrim who was suddenly able to walk after several years in a wheelchair uh, after he touched the statue of the Virgin Mary. Now, according to this report, which was based on a television appearance uh, by the young man Andrea De Luce, uh, he was on this popular Italian show called Domenica, um, his parents took him to Medjugorje as a last hope of healing a rare bone disease, which had him confined to a wheelchair. And since that day, De Luce explained on television that he's been able to uh, engage in normal activities such as bike riding, playing soccer, and things that he could have never been able to do prior to his visit to the shrine. Uh, Quite an amazing story and one of many reports coming from the alleged apparition site of Medjugorje. Of course, there's no official word on Medjugorje. The word is still out. And the world awaits the results of that 2010 investigative Vatican commission. We're all anxious to find out what the Pope announces, uh, hopefully later this year. To keep up to date with the latest in Miracle News, please visit MiracleHunter.com. Sign up for our newsletter. You'll receive a monthly email with the latest Miracle Hunter news, including reports on the latest miracles and news stories, links to past radio episode podcasts, update on my television series, Miracle Hunters, now in development, and my book, Hunting for a Miracle, due out in fall 2014, any upcoming speaking engagements, and much, much more. So sign up for the newsletter on MiracleHunter.com by clicking the newsletter link at the bottom of the page. Now it's time for our question of the day. Um, Time to open up the mailbag or the email inbox, as it were. We have a great question this week from Teresa. She asks, Dear Miracle Hunter, there's been a lot of interest regarding the Divine Will by Luisa Picaretta. We have some reservation on the authenticity. Can you provide some form of the judgment given thus far by the Church? Thank you, Teresa. Well, thanks for that great uh, question, Teresa. And for those who are not familiar with her, the Italian-born servant of God, Luisa Picaretta, is also known as the Little Daughter of the Divine Will, 
and she was a mystic and author uh, known for surviving on nothing but the Eucharist for 65 years, which is called Enedia. Uh She died at the age of 82 in 1947. Uh, the Archbishop of Trani opened her cause for beatification in 1994. Uh, by the end of 2000, the process of inquiry and documentation within the diocese was complete, and her cause was then passed to the Congregation for the Causes of Saints at the Vatican, which opened up the case for examination in 2006. So she's currently a servant of God. Uh, the Archbishop of Trani has reiterated in a letter dated November 2012 his approval of the existence of groups formed to study Luisa's writings. Her writings, however, are complex and have resulted in translations from the original Italian that contain theological errors. So he's asking that people be very careful with that, so you can study the messages in groups if you want, but he has put a moratorium on publicly spreading her writings because of the confusion associated there and it may negatively impact her beatification cause. But he affirms that both he and the Church have found that her writings themselves are free of doctrinal error. So thank you, Teresa, for your excellent question. Uh, if you have a question for the Miracle Hunter, please visit MiracleHunter.com or send an email to questions at MiracleHunter.com, and we'll be selecting one question each week to be read on the air. Now it's time for Catholic Pub Trivia. Each week I'll be asking a trivia question and giving out a prize to the caller who gets the right answer. This week we'll be giving away a framed image of a piece of artwork entitled The Faces of Mary. It's a photo mosaic of over 100 images of Our Lady that forms a large, beautiful image when you step back to look at it. Trivia questions are generously provided by Catholic Pub Trivia, an organization that partners with Catholic parishes, schools, or religious organizations to host Trivia Night fundraisers at local establishments. For more information on Catholic Pub Trivia, or to organize an event in your area, please visit catholicpubtrivia.com. And we always try to keep the questions related to the theme of the day's program, and today we've been talking about Maria Esperanza and some incredible miracles related to her in Latin America. So today's question is, who is the patron saint of Latin America and the very first person from the Americas to be canonized? That question again is, who is the patron saint of Latin America and the first person from the Americas to be canonized? And we'll see if you have the right answer. For those just joining the program, this is Michael O'Neill. You're listening to the Miracle Hunter Radio Show. And for more information on the program or my research on miracles, please visit MiracleHunter.com. Now, each week we're going to be doing a segment entitled 365 Days with Mary. Now, for each and every day of the year, somewhere in the world, there's a Marian title, a feast, or a commemoration of an apparition or miraculous event being celebrated. It never ceases to amaze me how much the world loves the Mother of God and honors her throughout the year. Now, I've taken all the dates and their feasts and collected them into a, one resource, and that's called 365 Days with Mary. Each entry features images, a description, and history of the feast day, along with the information on the shrines associated with them, including visitor information and links. So if you're traveling to a country and you want to see the Marian shrines there, you can just go on the page, 365dayswithmary.com, and look up the shrines in that area. Uh, the project's available in print in the form of a daily engagement calendar, a daily planner, 
as well as online at 365 Days with Mary. It's great. We're on Facebook and Twitter, where if you like us, you'll automatically receive that day's feast day information, and you can learn more about how our Blessed Mother is honored around the world on that day. So be sure to like 365 Days with Mary on Facebook. Visit the website, 365dayswithmary.com, to see the project. The print version, in the form of a daily organizer, makes a great gift for anyone with a devotion to Our Lady. Now, today's feast for March 25th, we're commemorating the Our Lady of All Nations apparition. During a series of 56 apparitions, which lasted 14 years, there were a wide variety of prophecies that were given to Ida Peterman, a 40-year-old office worker at an industrial firm, and she also had a vision of an image of the Blessed Mother standing on a globe with a cross behind her and a prayer. It's a very famous image. I'm, I'm sure you've seen it. Ida Perdeman relates, She was clad in white, and she wore a sash. She stood with her arms lowered, and the palms of her hands turned outward towards me. I thought it must be the Blessed Virgin, and that it could not be anyone else. I then said, Are you Mary? And she answered, They will call me the Lady Mother. Now, the revelations given to Ida Perdeman by Our Lady of All Nations emphasize the importance of the Eucharist and portray in detail the events that proceed and will bring about the triumph of her Immaculate Heart. Most importantly, the declaration of the final Marian dogma of Mary as the Lady of All Nations, co-redemptress, mediatress, and advocate. Very interesting to note that a negative judgment was given by the Bishop of Harlem in Amsterdam um, in 1956. It was later confirmed in 1957, a negative judgment, and 1972, another negative judgment. So there was a little bit of controversy related to the translation of the prayer, but in the year 1996, worship was authorized by the Bishop of Harlem, Monsignor Bomers, and then later... Uh, the recognition of the supernatural origin of the appearances was given by Monsignor Joseph Marianus Punt, who was the local ordinary, and he gave that ruling on May 31st, 2002. Um, in order to solve the controversy related to the translation of the prayer, uh, Monsignor Punt uh, consulted with the CDF in 2006 in regard to the prayer, um, and the translation initially was uh, relating to Our Lady as she who was once Mary, and uh, that was changed in the final prayer to the Blessed Virgin Mary to eliminate any possible misunderstanding. So that was today's commemoration, Our Lady of All Nations from Amsterdam. Be sure to visit the Project 365 Days with Mary on Facebook and online at 365dayswithmary.com to find out more about Our Lady of All Nations, or any of the hundreds of other Marian devotions celebrated around the world. This is Michael O'Neill, and you are listening to the Miracle Hunter Radio Show. And for more information on the program, or my research on miracles, please visit MiracleHunter.com. Now, today we are joined by a very special guest, uh, Father Timothy Byerly, is the postulator of the beatification cause of Maria Esperanza de Bianchi, was regarded as one of the great mystics of the modern church and the recipient of the famed apparitions in Batania, Venezuela. 
Thank you for joining us today on the program, Father my, Timothy Byerly. My pleasure, Michael. Just one minor, minor uh, correction here. I, I'm the vice postulator. The postulator always has to reside in Rome. Oh, very good. So I, uh, um, thank you for that correction. And um, one question that I think a lot of people have regarding that is um, <clears throat> Maria Esperanza is from Venezuela. Can you tell everyone how the cause uh, was opened in New Jersey? Sure. Well, after the apparitions occurred in 1984, the main uh, public apparitions to about 150 people in Batania, of which Maria Esperanza was the, was the primary visionary and protagonist, well, the uh, church did a very intense investigation, and in 1987, November 22, 1987, Bishop Pilbeo Ricardo, who was then the, uh, the Bishop of Los Teques, within which, uh, uh, within that diocese, is, is the sanctuary of Britannia, he declared that the apparitions of March 25, 1984, and, and subsequent apparitions that occurred there, Britannia were of supernatural origin, uh, they were divine, uh, of divine origin, supernatural in nature, and, and authentic. And when that happened, Maria Spronza was invited to make uh, a number, uh, well, for the next, probably the rest of her life, she was invited to many, many places to speak about uh, Our Lady's message there in Britannia, and many of those times she came up here to the United States. One place she came to quite frequently was New Jersey. And it almost eventually became to be like a hub of her apostolic work up here. Whenever she came to the state, she was always finished up in New Jersey and developed some close friendships with some people. Well, in 1995, she offered her life for Pope John Paul II after he was publicly, it was publicly uh, revealed that he had Vincent's disease. Shortly thereafter, she uh, manifested the symptoms of Parkinson's disease, and that's what ultimately took her life and his life. And... Uh, so she was uh, up here in 2003, the end of 2003, to celebrate Christmas in Connecticut and came down to New Jersey to see some friends uh, in the beginning of 2004 and was, because of her poor health, was unable to return and spent the last nine months of her life in uh, Long Beach Island, New Jersey, the last eight months. And actually and passed away there on August 7, 2004. A beatification cross can be opened at a place where the person was born, where they lived a significant amount of time, or where they passed away. So, uh, the Bishop Butkowski, we had the resources, uh, Bishop Butkowski Matuchin, we had the resources, the personnel, the desire, the, and the evident fame of sanctity to, uh, to initiate the cause. So, in fact, we did in, in Matuchin, New Jersey. That's how that happened. Wonderful. Thank you for that explanation. And uh, not many people are familiar with Maria Esperanza, despite many of the great miracles and, and her life. Can you tell us a little bit about what makes her very special and why uh, it makes sense for a canonization or a beatification cause to be open for her? Well, of course, the, uh, you know, the criteria for... Well, let me first say, let me just give you a very quick synopsis of her, her life, and then I can talk about the criteria that the Church uses. Uh, to determine uh, sanctity. <clears throat> she was born on November 22nd, 19, uh, 1928, in the interior of the country, and uh, soon thereafter found her way to Caracas. She had, a, even in her early years, had a tremendously close relationship with Jesus, Mary, and the saints. <clears throat> By the time she was in her teens, well, she had two close encounters with death, one because of pulmonary infection, another because of a heart illness in which uh, she miraculously recovered, had encounters with Our Lady, 
She wanted to give herself totally to God in, in service as a nun, but she went to the convent, and shortly thereafter it was made clear to her it wasn't her vocation. So she went went to Rome under inspiration, and there providentially encountered her husband, J.L.B. and Keeney. They were married in, in uh, December on December 8, 1956, in the Immaculate Conception Chapel of the St. Peter of the Silk in Rome, with the special permission of Pope Pius XII. And then uh, spent a few years there and returned to Venezuela and, and had seven children in eight years. So her fundamental vocation was that was of, of wife, to be wife and mother, but she also had this tremendous growing gift of, of well, a number of mystical gifts, like the uh, on Good Fridays, the stigmata would appear in her hands. She had the odor of sanctity, that is to say, the like, scent of roses would emanate from her body. She had the gift of prophecy. She had the. She prayed over people, and they were recovered their health. Uh, she had the discernment of spirits. Really, a tremendous gift of discernment of spirits to assist people to make good decisions. So, uh, a group gathered around her uh, and prayed with her every Friday. And uh, so, she had a dual mission. She had the mission as a mother, and she had this mission as as a woman who was very, very close to God and had special gifts from the Lord. The one gift probably that was one of the most prominent was her gift to read souls. That is to say, when you came into her presence, she never knew you that it knew you. She could tell you your past, your present, and your future. Uh, through a divine, I mean, it's, it's a gift of the Holy Spirit, an, an intuitive gift. You, you know, you, you can't make that up. It's not just like psychologically reading some somebody. This was... Uh, these were to know the intimate details of a person's life. She never humiliated or embarrassed anyone, but uh, she had that. She had that gift. So, so a group gathered around her of, of, of spiritual fathers, and she led them in, in the rosary and devotions to Our Lady, how, how to live a, a deep Christian life, how to love Jesus, how to really uh, love His Church, appreciate His Church. She formed them in 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 these uh, in these virtues, and. Uh, and then when the uh, when that major apparition co- occurred, which we just spoke about in, in March 25th, 1984, she was thrust into the limelight, and, and then people became quite aware of her gifts. So the church determines whether it's it's reasonable to open up a, an investigation for a possible candidate beatification and canonization based on certain criteria, and the two most prominent. You can summarize them in, in like this. The fame of sanctity and the fame of intercession. The fame of sanctity is that ordinary Catholics who knew her or only knew her, know of her later, have there's a groundswell, a grassroots uh, appreciation or, or, or conviction that this woman lived a life of heroic virtue. And the fame of, of an intercession is that ordinary Catholics uh, seek her intercession in heaven for favors on earth, and that's always confirmed by one miracle for beatification and one miracle for, for canonization. So the Church, in the end, allows God to determine who should be who should be canonized most of the time, unless the Pope makes an exception, like He did with John the Twenty Third. That 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 heaven confirms the sanctity of the person yeah. who's being studied by a miracle. By a miracle, and and the, and the church's criteria for miracles are very, very stringent, very stringent. And um, 
Can you tell us a little bit about how her beatification cause is going? I know it, it opened a couple of years ago. And, yes, it opened um, January 31st, 2010, to a, a full, I mean, a jammed cathedral, uh, the St. Francis of Assisi in Metuchen. Bishop celebrated the Mass, of course, and opened the mm-hmm. cause, and there was a spillover crowd of some several hundred people in an adjacent gymnasium where we telecast, uh, the simulcast at the, the Mass over there and brought communion over to him. So there was a tremendous... Uh, turnout of people who are very enthusiastic about the cause. The uh, the cause is progressing uh, very well. Uh, the various commissions, historical commission, theological commission, are, are you know rapidly completing their work. The one dimension that is that is uh, going to take some significant amount of time is the taking of the testimonies because there's 120 testimonies and the tribunal can only do so many per month and. Uh, Sometimes just one person, like a family member, could take uh, three, four, five, six uh, sessions, you know, whole days of testimony. And, and when we're translating from English to Spanish, back and forth, it even prolongs that. So there's no way to say exactly when our our end of things will be closed and we would submit this to the congregation for saints, but, but uh, mm-hmm. things are moving forward. And I can tell you, perhaps as important that, as that, is a continuing growing in interest in, in the uh, both the life and spirituality of Mary Bronza as a model laywoman, as a model mother and wife in a day when the family is, as you know, is, is really under attack and suffering so so much. So, uh, but also her, her, you know, the emphasis, when Our Lady appeared in, in Batania, she came under the title Reconciler of All Peoples and Nations, a new title in, in uh, in the church's history. And what Our Lady's message was, Our Lady's message is this, in Britannia. She was calling for fraternal reconciliation and family unity. The healing of the family, and through the healing of the family, healing of society, reaching across every boundary of, of ethnicity, of racial divides, of economic divides, of loyalties to countries, of loyalties to political parties, of across religious boundaries, every strata of society, she was she was encouraging us to extend the hand of friendship, just like Jesus called us to, and reconcile. But that, that reconciliation begins, first of all, and most of all, in the family, the healing of the family. And the beautiful thing about Batania is not just go and do this, go and, go and fix your families, go and fix your society, mm-hmm. but there's a grace that Our Lady is granting through Britannia to achieve this this goal, that this 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 uh, exhortation that she is announcing. Absolutely, and this is, her messages are especially timely at this time in Venezuela when they're experiencing in Venezuela, such great in Ukraine, in the Middle East, in Afghanistan, and you yeah. name it. You know, you name it: Syria, Lebanon. Now, you you mentioned um, what a great model she was as a wife and mother. Um, I was recently at our Sorrowful Mother's Ministry uh, in southern Illinois, Mm -hmm. and uh, they're a Batania community, and and I think they they mentioned you there. And uh, one of the stories that they shared regarded how she met her husband in the first place and some of the inspirations she felt um, in seeking him out and and doing that. I know you mentioned she had an earlier call to uh, perhaps uh, enter religious life. Can you share with us uh, if you if you do know that story about how she uh, how she met met her husband there in Italy? Well, 
Senior Jo, her husband, uh, Jo Bianchini, is the guy that tells the story the best, and it's such a beautiful, beautiful story because it's a, you know, it's very uh, indicative of Maurice Bronze's life and spirituality because it's a beautiful and seamless blend of the natural and the supernatural. The way uh, they encountered each other in front of the church, the way Maurice Bronze had certain inspirations about what she should look for in this man, and how uh, how they were. Uh, uh, initially not noticed, but later came to the uh, to the foreground. Uh, the challenge they had in, in, in courtship, uh, she not you know knowing much Italian, him not knowing much Spanish, and how they were both at certain moments wanting to give up on it, but then realized that this is what God wanted, and then they submitted and, and were married uh, and had this extraordinary marriage uh, up until she passed away. The details are you know could be quite involved, and I always like to leave that to. And Joe and Kenny himself, because he's, he's there. Sure, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's an incredible story of how she she met him and uh, she she followed through. And and it they they founded the. I've never been there, but I know you have, Father, uh, in Britannia, uh, sort of a community or a farmland area. Can you describe what it's like down there when you go to visit? Well, yes. The uh, you know the family. Members live in Caracas, but about an hour south of there is a is a tropical sugarcane sugarcane plantation, and it's very uh, green and mountainous, and and that is where uh, the family had purchased that property. Maurice Bronze and her, and her husband with some business partners, uh, again under an inspiration, and that was where the they would go down there regularly on the weekends to pray and to to have fellowship with all of her spiritual followers and her family. And that was where the the apparitions occurred, and uh, was then transformed into a Marian sanctuary. Although uh, it has the you know, this, the highest level of approval, like Galourdes or Fatima, it has really yet to be built up in its fullest sense. Although there's a lot of growth and 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 progress being made in that regard, but it's a it's a plaza, rather simple with a with a a chapel, but with an open air chapel, with a, it has a it has a roof over it, but it's there's no walls, and this is in front of the the grotto, which has a, which has a little waterfall, a large statue of Our Lady Reconciled of All Peoples and Nations, in, to, in the rock where the apparitions, where Our Lady appeared, or close to where she appeared, uh, with a thick green foliage. Uh, imagine in a in a South American country surrounding the the whole area, and uh, it's it's. Definitely, what you might call a Latin American shrine, and uh, the faithful there—I have to tell you—faithful Mike are are so so devoted, and, and the, uh, the, the the love and the respect, the affection they have for Our Lady there, because they come from all around the country and beyond Latin America to visit a, a to, to visit that shrine and ask for favors from Our Lady, bathe themselves in the waters. Uh, and very inspiring to see, especially on the high feast days. Every Marian feast day, there's a major uh, pouring. Uh, people pour in from all over, all over the areas, and and have ongoing masses and holy hours. They bring their own priests in. People come on pilgrimage, and and they pray all day and all night for the great. For like, for example, I'm going to be down there on March the 25th for the 30th anniversary of the apparitions. And yes, can you tell us a little bit about that uh, incredible event? Uh, in in the, in many cases, apparitions happen to just one visionary or 
the same set of visionaries. Tell us what was unique about that yeah, March twenty fifth event thirty years ago. That's a good. That's a good. Good question to raise, Mike. The um, as I say, the family would go with Maria's Bronzo on, on a regular basis, and her spiritual followers. I mean, a hundred. You know, maybe a hundred people or so on the weekends. They would pray. The priest would say mass. They would bring a priest down with them and say mass, and they would have a lunch and fellowship. And she would teach them in a, in a kind of a Socratic method. You know, she wasn't a, uh, mm. one who just stood there and and gave uh, uh, you know long uh, treatises, but rather she would engage them in dialogue and and uh, it was just a beautiful way to form people, especially uh, young people and. So this day of March 25th, 1984, about 150 people were down there with her, uh, down there that day with her, and they had just finished mass, and they were sitting down to have a lunch, and the children went over in front of this now, which we call the grotto area, to play soccer, and they saw an image of Our Lady appear in front of this grotto, in front of this green foliage, and they they got they kind of panicked, and they ran back to their parents, and. Uh, the entire uh, 150 people came over at the, at the urging of Maria's Bronza to take a look at what was going on in there. This is three in the afternoon. From three, for the next three hours, Our Lady appeared seven times. I'm oh, sorry, five times. Between wow. five and seven minutes, except for the last apparition, which was 30 minutes, and every one of them saw it. It was transformative for them. I mean, you know, think about having a, you know, an encounter with the Heavenly Mother. And they were crying, they were weeping, they were overwhelmed. They felt, uh, like the one daughter said, uh, Esperanzita, one of the daughters of Mishpah, said, I never realized that you really could live your whole life and give your whole life to God until that moment. Mm. So it was just a, just a transformative moment and uh, something that, that has continues. You know, it was a great moment then, but it continues to have its power today as uh, the family... Uh, of Maria's Bronze, it continues her mission, continues to, what shall we say, express that charism that Maria's Bronze, that was Maria's Bronze, had seen in her family very, very, very clearly. Absolutely. And you, you did mention earlier in the program that that event uh, has the can I just, approval I just wanna, of I just, the Can I just correct one thing on that? I want to make sure I, I sure. Just told you the right thing. Our Lady appeared to the entire group seven times that day between 3 p.m. and 6.30 p.m., between five to seven minutes, except for the last one, which lasted about 30 minutes, and they thought that Our Lady was never going to leave them. You know, that wow. was there for, they were there three, for 30 minutes, and they thought, this is this operation is never going to end. We're going to be here. It's like being <laughs> in heaven. And was there... Um did they get eyewitness accounts of what happened? Did people describe Our Lady yes, using the same description? The, these were the testimonies that were... That were the bishop was very, very skeptical, of course, in the beginning. Sure. And bishop Pio Bayo, and uh, some 550 written testimonies uh, over the period, not only from that, from that moment, but some apparitions that continued to occur after that, of doctors and lawyers and engineers and, and professional people, a psychologist, even an atheist, uh, a, a military general, ordinary folks from, from around the area. And these testimonies were that the quality of the persons making the testimony eventually became the overriding point of uh, that, that convinced the bishop that these things were authentic, these operations were authentic. He himself never, he became a uh, spiritual director and and a regular uh, 
celebrant of the sacraments in Britannia, he never uh, had, a, had a supernatural encounter himself, or, or never saw a lady, let me put it that way. Wow. That's an incredible moment there. Um, can you tell us, as far as the church approval goes, does, is the church, uh, the bishop's approval, limited to that singular day, that, that event? No, it, it, covers, it covers multiple apparitions, not only of that one day. It includes the 19th, the first one. To, there were several, uh, well, there were annual apparitions beginning, I think, in 1979, or 76, 1976, to Maria's Bronza in Britannia on March 25th of Our Lady Reconciled All People's Day. Only she saw Our Lady for those years yeah. until 1984. And then after that public apparition, the, the Bishop Pio Bayo uh, estimates between 1,000 and 2,000 people saw Our Lady over the next couple of years. Wow. They are in Britannia. Amazing. Um, yeah, what an incredible event and an incredible life for Maria Esperanza. And uh, I know you're you're headed to Venezuela very soon uh, to be a part of the celebrations there. Um, so we thank you very much, uh, Father, for joining us on the program today. And uh, where where can people keep up to date on Maria's cause, or if they have uh, miracles attributed to her intercession, how can they get in contact with the cause? The best thing to do would be go, to go to the uh, uh, the website www.mariasbronza.org. That, that's uh, the website that's that's uh, organized by the uh, Britannia Foundation. Okay. Well, thank you so much for uh, making time in your schedule and for joining us today. Uh, it was a great story, and I think people will be inspired to learn more about her life. So thanks my, very much for being my with pleasure, us today. Michael. God bless you. Bye-bye. God bless you. And that was Father Timothy Byerly, the vice postulator of the beatification cause of Maria Esperanza de Bianchini. And again, she's one of the great mystics of our modern church and the recipient of the famed apparitions there in Batania, Venezuela. For more information on Maria Esperanza, please visit mariaesperanza.org or visit the Batania page at miraclehunter.com. And now uh, we'll review our Catholic Pub trivia question. Today's question was, who is the patron saint of Latin America and the first person from the Americas to be canonized? And that answer was, St. Rose of Lima. St. Rose of Lima was a Spanish colonist in Lima, Peru, who became known for both her life of asceticism and also for her care of the needy throughout the city through her own private efforts. As a lay member of the Dominican Order, she was the first person born in the Americas to be canonized by the Catholic Church. As a saint, St. Rose of Lima is also designated as a co-patroness of the Philippines. For more information on Catholic Pub Trivia, or to organize an event in your area, please visit catholicpubtrivia.com. And that's all the time we have for today's show. I'd like to thank our guests, Spirit Daily's Michael H. Brown and Father Timothy Byerly, the Vice Postulator of the Beatification Cause of Maria Esperanza, for joining us on the show today. This weekend, on March 29th, I'll be giving a talk at a Totally Yours conference in Rolling Meadows, Illinois. I'll be discussing how Medjugorje is similar to and different from other apparitions throughout history. For more information on attending this conference, please visit miraclehunter.com or totallyyours.org. 
Be sure to visit MiracleHunter.com as your resource for miracles and keep up to date with how Our Lady is honored around the world at 365dayswithmary.com. Thank you for joining me today on Miracle Hunter, where it doesn't matter if you are a believer or a skeptic, it's always worth the hunt. You're tuned to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you just heard was a rebroadcast of Miracle Hunter with Michael O'Neill.